1: Welcome to the World of fantasy football podcast. Yes, this is not John McKechnie talking. It's Joe Bartle filling in for John today. uh, I am joined alongside by the normal co-host, at least Mario Puig. Mario, last time around, you guys were talking about what I could only assume was a mutant insect that had now invaded your apartment. Should I assume that you have been consumed by this almighty uh, mosquito dragonfly bug or are you safe and sound?
2: No,
3: it's planted in my like spinal cord though, and every <laughs> once in a while it takes control of me. So if the if the podcast cuts out, <laughs> it's like we're trying to wrangle my you know function my 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 mental capacity and functions again. Um, but it's been a few days, and I don't know. I think they're actually just mayflies or something like say, that. Is it a lake fly? Is is? That I mean, I is? don't know. I've never. I, I've lived in this part of Madison for like a while now and uh like three or four years and i don't remember seeing them maybe there's just something new happening on the lakes this year i don't really know but uh it sucks because they're these big stupid flies and they just hang out on my screens and i i get paranoid about opening the windows because i'm afraid they'll get in eat me and my stuff so <laughs> it's just kind of uh, i don't like bugs is the thing i'm really bad about no, I am, bugs i'm not a,
1: a huge bug person at all but i'm gonna do my you know pushes up glasses and and talks in a high voice kind of Uh, situation because I I did grow up. We have a cottage uh, near a lake. My family does at least. So I'm well accustomed to the lake flies. And I think, uh, you know, obviously Lake Winnebago is not anywhere near madison but the the same thing applies where the algae was pretty strong in past years and caused the lake flies to be so aggressive maybe that's a scenario that we are seeing here in madison and you were just apparently uh recognizing it for the first time that's that's my only guess why yeah people we... are often talking
3: about algae and i never know what it means <laughs> or what they're talking about but maybe you know i'm I'm gesturing my hands in the air and just saying algae it's the algae it's so the, it's the algae might be that i don't know um but, yeah, I guess uh, my struggles with with the, the, the insects of the area don't really compare to what uh, – uh, not to trivialize it, but uh, you know, now that you're OK, it's, it's kind of OK, I guess, to chuckle about uh, your situation, was, which was somewhat more harrowing than mine.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I guess slightly. Um, for the, for those of you who don't know, and I really didn't make it aware on Twitter, but I, I've had a lot of people either text me or message me on Slack. And this is how this conversation came up because, Mara, you did this as well. Uh, that I actually had my appendix removed uh, two weeks ago on Tuesday. And there's a lot of unfortunate things about it, but this is my first major surgery, and I, I really put that in quotation marks as best I can while talking because it's— That's a real surgery, dude. I, it, <laughs> that's a real surgery. It's, 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 not, it's a useless body part, as I was informed right, at the ER. So. But the the thing with it, when, when everyone talks about an appendicitis or getting the appendix removed, they're in severe pain, right? Like that's Like that's the whole thing— About the appendix surgeries, that it's severe pain. I had none of that. Absolutely none of that. Like the lead up to me going into the emergency room was mainly me trying to avoid going into the emergency room during a pandemic. That was my biggest concern. Like on a pain scale of one through 10, I was in the one to two range to the point where my wife, thankfully, and thankfully, she convinced me to do this it was like if you have a fever then you have to go in otherwise i was not going to so at, at some point tuesday that the symptoms had all started on monday and it was over a 24 hour period that i was like well okay maybe this isn't indigestion or constipation which i thought for sure and in fact i went to mcdonald's and i got coffee which are normally my two biggest all right we'll get things moving through just fine uh and neither of those worked. so that was the first like huh, maybe something is up and then uh, the fever happened later on to the point where I was, all right, we'll go into the ER again. No pain whatsoever. And then as I'm sitting in the Madison emergency room for the next six hours, we finally had a surgeon come in. I didn't even have a doctor pop in. I just, the surgeon said, hey, so I'm not sure what they've all told you. And to that point, no one had said anything to me. I had already gotten like a, a CAT scan done uh, and a few other blood work things. We're going to have to cut out your appendix. And, and I'm like, oh, OK. So like, is that something I can schedule later? I'm like, no, no, no. You, you need to do it now. I'm like, oh, okay, wow. so, like, tomorrow morning? No, like, we're going to get you in, like, now, now. So for, for like, 5 o'clock when I had went in for central time here in Madison, um, I was just anticipating, well, you know, they're going to rule out everything else but that. Uh, but it became apparent <laughs> that I needed to have my appendix removed. So that night, around one thirty or so, was when it finally got... Taken out and and honestly, Mario, I was probably in more pain post surgery than I was beforehand. So we were in the hospital, my wife and I, for the next you know I think it was about twenty hours. Or so I got out let, late that next day uh, and had been recovering. So anybody that normally listens to me do the podcast on Fantasy Bites or anywhere else, there's there's been a reason at least as to why <laughs> I haven't been able to upload anything lately. And I'm glad I can finally join you now. And I've been doing a lot of other work for the magazine and on the site too. So we're all set and and fine. Um, I, I stupidly tried to, you know, do a little bit of a run yesterday. I, I normally like to run, especially during the pandemic where you can't do anything else, except I feel like exercise very, very alone outside. Uh, and that was, yeah. that was a poor choice. I, I, I probably shouldn't have done that, but otherwise I'm moving just fine. And there isn't, there isn't any complications from that.
3: Well, yeah, I'm glad you're okay. Uh, that's a kind of insane story to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I guess be careful about those, uh, stitches or whatever you got there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The four incisions, um, are, are still, you know, I'm, I'm still aware of them, but again, it's, it's, it's more one of those things where if I take a wrong step, then I feel it. But you know, for the, the part that freaked me out the most, I mean, obviously if you're told, all right, surgery in two hours, that's a little bit freaky, but I was really hoping to avoid taking the COVID-19 test. And I've, I've long since told people that if you really wanted to, Protect the the American public. Just show them the test, like the, the like the physical model of it, where they they shove that thing in your nose and it's meant to scrape the back of your brain or whatever it is. Because that freaked me out just seeing that, and yeah. I, I wanted to completely avoid everything related to talking, touching, or anything near people, so I would never have to have that happen. And they just. They just snuck it in there at the end. They're like, all right, you're going to have surgery. And then this doctor comes in like five minutes later. All right. So to make sure you can go ahead and have your surgery, we need to make sure that you're fine. So let's go ahead and do the COVID test. I'm sure you've already done it before. And I'm like, no, I have absolutely
3: not. This is- Wait, they had, they had a turnaround that fast? I thought it took a couple days.
1: No, Well, so the test itself, so the, to do the test, it was very quick. Uh, right. Hopefully. But the within hours, yeah, I got the results back. It was three hours. They said it was going to only be an hour. But I was in there waiting for three hours. What the hell?
3: That's crazy. No, I mean, I I know they're already doing these things in Madison. Um, like there's a big local science industry, and I think that's played a role in them getting these public tests that aren't available in other states. Um, but yeah, I thought those take all always two days. I mean, I'm glad there's a faster one. Right. That's just uh, that's <laughs> I was like, yeah, because I assumed it would be like you get in your situation, and if they test you for that, then they're kind of like, all right, now you're going to stay in this room for two days. <laughs> and we're going to take you to a different room and nope. the results depend on which or you know the the results will tell us which kind of room you go yeah. to um so I yeah think that's that was the
1: plan I, or like the, there or at least with the if complications arose during the surgery, that's what they'd have to do. And, and, you know, it's fine. And again, at at some point, um, it was just like, all right, I'm, I'm so tired. I just want to get this done with, because we had been sitting in the ER for probably eight, eight or nine hours before we really got to that point where surgery was on the table or that we were going to do it. But I, you know, it was, it was a whirlwind and I was, I was freaked out about the surgery, but then the, the test freaked me out way more. So when it was done, I was, I was ready to go. Like, all right, I, I've passed the hardest part of whatever tonight was going to be, in my opinion, yeah. was that COVID-19 test. And for as bad as it looks, and it looks really, really freaking scary, it was not as painful as I was anticipating. And I, and I'm, I am a definitely a weakling. I mean, like, I don't want to go to the dentist. Uh, you know, I don't mind getting shots or poked into me, but I certainly prefer not to. So something like that w- really freaked me out. It was not as bad as I was anticipating at all. Like, my eyes watered a ton, and, you know, it was... It really felt weird for about five seconds, but that's all it was. And I I likened it to if you were to get like a strep throat test or something like that, you're going to swab the throat there. And I hate when that happens. That was the same sort of version except for the nose.
3: Nice. Uh, Yeah, I'm not trying to one up you, but that test will be easy for me because uh, (laughs) a lot of sometimes the, the radio listeners or the podcast listeners will say to me like, Mario, your voice is so cool. I wish I could listen to your voice because it sounds so normal and, and good and soothing to me on a recording. Uh, but just like, what's wrong with your sinus? And I say like, oh, actually, my sinus is completely destroyed. And I, get, I was just born that way. I've had like chronic sinus conditions my whole life. Um, and one thing related to that was that I had a sinus surgery um, like already like six or seven years ago or something. Um, cause I was at a doctor for another reason and they did a CT scan or something and saw like a mass in my mm. skull basically. Um, and they had to do an exploratory surgery to make sure it wasn't some sort of tumor or right. something. And, uh, it wasn't a tumor and not to disgust anyone, but it was like a giant collection of just like infectious waste because of a, really bad sinus infection that I had, uh, which I'm prone to. And, uh, to, to do that surgery, they had to like rip up my sinus a good amount to get up there. And then they put this uh, sponge thing up there to, I guess, prevent scarring accumulation. And, uh, it was not a dissolvable sponge is the thing. So it was like (laughs) this horrible, like it was like a tampon basically that was like crammed into my nose slash skull and there was this tiny little string that the guy pulled out after – like a week after the surgery with the tweezers that he was bad at handling. And uh, this is not like a tampon that fits well right, through uh, the nasal canals. It's like pulling a couch through like a tiny door or something like that. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, really disgusting. And I, I think it's like after that particular experience, I'm, I'm ready to have – Lots of things jammed up my nose, including Q-tips.
1: See, this is exactly the reason why I have not felt comfortable talking about my appendix surgery because there was not a lot to it. It just again, not. Oh no,
3: dude, thats that's serious stuff. I mean, yours yours was more serious than mine. Mine, mine, it turned out there was nothing up there, but basically like fossilized pus or something. Yeah,
1: but that's gross and that that's painful. It's gross, but it's not. It's
3: it's not like you know they didn't have to like cut me up. They just jammed things in my
1: face. (laughs) Well, there you go. You, you come for the fantasy football knowledge. You get the uh, complete dissertation on both the nose and, uh, like, mid-region of the body here you go so yeah so this is my first time back doing a podcast for that i've been i've been working a little bit last week too so uh, i'm happy to get back in the grind and the thing that i was most disappointed about was that actually it was a a big time for esports two weeks ago the nba 2k league had just launched uh we've been doing a lot of different coverage especially during the pandemic from the esports perspective and one of the many titles i have here is esports editor so i was pretty disappointed that i couldn't be partaking in that but I've of course since been able to get back in the grind. So that's great. Um and and you know, thank you listeners for sticking through to the play, for all, for all the medical dissertations that we just gave throughout that. But let's actually get to the fantasy football perspective and obviously there's still a lot up in the air in terms of when the NFL season's going to start and I feel like at times uh, since the the draft and really during the offseason portion the most we've really had to discuss is like jersey changes and what teams look good for their new stadiums next year. And I, I hate partaking in that conversation. I'm not sure if you are a jersey guy necessarily, Mario. but we, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm the same way. But we do have at least a little bit of information um, that we can work towards from a fancy perspective. Uh, starting with, I thought, a, a, a decent enough relevant take that Roheem Mostert has added additional weight or muscle to his, his body and is looking to get closer to 200 carries for next year. If that's the case, and you're more the projections guy than I am when it comes to fantasy football, is it possible that Mostert gets a little bit higher value? I mean, he handled close to 190 carries last year, uh, including the postseason. So I don't see it making a huge difference from a fantasy perspective, but maybe you see it differently.
3: Well, this is one of those things where I'm not sure what everybody else thought in the first place. I'm not quite sure what they think now either, but I kind of assumed mostert was was heading toward that 200 carry sort of range uh not not likely to go far past it with that said but i kind of just assumed that was the nature of the san francisco running game going forward you got uh obviously Burita traded to the Dolphins, so you just got raheem mostert who of course ended this last year on a tear and you have tevin coleman at the second running back which uh with mckinnon apparently Jarek mckinnon apparently still not even cutting on his uh that knee with like it's like a new sort of disorder basically like I don't remember a guy having so many setbacks and procedures of of sort of unspecified nature over uh, about two years now as McKinnon so I don't know what's going to happen with that third spot and if it's not McKinnon if McKinnon's not basically the player he used to be then whoever the third running back is is probably a good bit behind Coleman let alone Mosert. so if they don't add anybody and I don't know why they really would then Mostert kind of has to be the lead back and and maybe because he's a former wide receiver track guy and maybe because he's only around 200 pounds maybe that means he doesn't get more than something like 12 to 15 carries a game but you would think especially the way that the two ended last year you would think that Mostert would basically be the running back they go to when they want to move the ball and score points and maybe Coleman would get a lot more of the reps when they're more so trying to get out with a win once they get a lead so they could be interchangeable in some senses, and uh, I still think Coleman is capable of quite a bit. Like I don't know how um, some some of the blocking that Mostert got on some of his carries. I think it's safe to say was just better than a lot of the looks that Coleman got. Uh, even if Mostert is safely better, so I think Coleman is capable of, especially more uh, like long plays than he showed more more uh 40 plus yard carries than he showed in san francisco last year so i expect him to kind of stumble into those sort of outcomes even if he is a backup but uh raheem mostert tends to go i want to say in that like late fourth early fifth sort of range in best ball drafts so far and i think he can be fine there especially in best ball especially when those spike weeks matter so much um but i wouldn't get my hopes up for you know more than that 200 carry sort of range and I I would let go of of the idea of him averaging like six yards a carry again I guess he could but uh some of those plays that he got last year there was just wide open blasted you know tunnels for him to run through and he's always going to be fast he's always going to take advantage of those plays it's just I don't know if he'll get quite as good of a setup as last year so I'd expect some uh, per-touch regression, um, but the touches going up and 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 the fact that that team should have a good defense, should be in scoring range quite a bit, should be in run-favorable game scripts. He sh- Mostert should have a bunch of the higher scores at running back this year, even if he kind of fluctuates a bit.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the, the open holes and everything else that comes with that San Francisco offense. I feel like the defense in the NFL is, is almost... Overreactionary from a year to year basis. You look at Matt Nagy's offense, Trubisky, I think his second year, right? He was a super relevant fantasy quarterback, completely floundered last year. The Rams' offense uh, seemed to have been figured out by the Patriots, and then that was kind of repeated by every other team uh, the past season. I don't know if that necessarily happens toward a running specific attack like the 49ers, but just recent history makes me a little bit more concerned that. Uh, you could see somebody or see a team really figure it out, quote unquote, how to stop that rushing attack. Although the Shanahan's for, what, 20 plus years now have been able to do this with every sort of running back. So maybe it just is something that it is intangible to them, whether it be Mike or, or Kyle.
3: Yeah, and Kyle has a lot of his kind of ideal Personnel at the moment too, so it's not just that he has better ideas generally than a lot of the coaches. It's like he'll never have more ammo than he does right now, and especially a guy like George Kittle changed so much of the complexion of the offense because he's largely the most player, the most important player on that offense because he, depending on where he lines up and the depending on the way he motions on a given play, it. Forces the defense to tilt with him and Shanahan uses that a lot to, to kind of create misdirection, you know, like basically use George Kittle in motion, use George Kittle on a drag route this way to hand the ball off to Debo Samuel going the other way, stuff like that. And, you know, all those plays fold into other similar looks In the playbook, and different things occur within those similar looks, and and he he sequences a lot of plays to kind of set up the defense to to wander into a trap, and it's the the trap might be the Kittle cross, the the Debo jet sweep, or it could be kind of like a wide zone toss to Mostert or one of the running backs, and and when Shanahan gets his really good plays going, when when he really gets on a roll, it's basically because the defense is kind of like twisting over itself and going the wrong way every time. So when you have Shanahan arranging those outcomes, then pure speed will pretty much always kill. And Mostert has that. So uh, he has it. Coleman has it. I think they'll both be pretty productive on a per-touch basis. But the other thing is, is like, Mostert really might be still improving. He might be getting better kind of all the time, even though he's uh, 28 or 29 or whatever. Because at Purdue, he was basically just a track guy and a wide receiver. And for some reason, in his first couple, uh, four or five years, actually, in the NFL, he was largely a gunner more than anything else. So it was weird that he never got more of a look at running back because he is burning fast. He's definitely a really fast guy. And usually when someone's stuck on special teams, it's because they're just kind of like one dimensional or an overachiever type. But Mostert's really fast, really quick always has been and Shanahan's offense pretty much always creates space.
4: Support for this podcast comes from U S bank. If you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U S bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding. No matter what you're into feeling hungry, Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cashback, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC.
1: There's another player that uh, I know you're... you're... Probably higher on the most last year, and I felt like you're able to pay some dividends on him. We saw Preston Williams, of course, of the Dolphins, uh, reported that he isn't quite yet back to participating in on-field actions after he had surgery to his ACL tear in November. Uh, He's kind of gradually jogging. Apparently, he's doing the Joe Bartle uh, appendix recovery technique and, and kind of working his way to that point. You look at the Dolphins and everything that they improved over this offseason, and of course, some would say, well, yeah, you kind of have to improve when they had as little talent on that roster as they did last year. But I think there's some noticeable action, whether it be at the quarterback position and, and likely is starting at some point down the road, the offensive line making a pretty significant dividends, and even the, de- the defense as well, getting a lot of different pieces throughout the offseason and the draft is this a situation if you can assume Preston Williams is going to be hundred percent healthy at, or whenever the NFL season starts that he's a guy that you can draft where he is currently going at his ADP.
3: Uh, give me a second to look up his current, uh, best ball ADP. Cause I'm not totally sure. It looks like he's going in the, uh, let's see, like the late to mid 12th. Okay. I think that, I think that's right. Um, so He's he's going there around these guys like Golden Tate, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager. So in that particular range, the only one of those guys that I would put alongside Williams is probably Golden Tate. Maybe Rager, but probably not quite. I don't know. I, I am a Rager fan. I just kind of... I feel like I'm guessing completely the way that they might use him this year. And I'd like a little bit more reassurance from the coaches because with Williams and Tate, you know how they're going to work basically Uh, a little bit different of the players, but you more or less know the deal. Uh, Williams. I don't want to pretend to know the the medical aspects of this like intimately, but um, being in week nine as an ACL tear that that's just late enough in the year where I'm a little bit creeped out by it. Um, I think if you, pick him you have to be prepared for maybe a slow start although if the start of the season is delayed at all that could just just as easily be you know more recovery time for him uh and the the more time he has to recover the better generally speaking so um he was getting targets right away last year and uh, i was not quite high on him after his pro day actually because he had a really disastrous pro day at colorado state before the draft but before his pro day yeah i actually kind of was pretty high on him because he was a five-star player at Tennessee, was probably going to be good there, but he had character issues resulting in him getting booted from the team, went to Colorado State, and drew something insane like 170 targets in 13 games, which uh, it's, it's just crazy. So he looked on tape at Colorado State like the five-star guy. Like he looked pretty fast, especially for that Mountain West sort of competition. He, was, he just looked like – he basically looked like Randy Moss compared to those guys. And uh, But then with that pro day, I was worried that he kind of just like the, fell on the character issues because he tested terribly. And I assumed it was because he was out of shape because he, he looked athletic on tape at Colorado State. And there's been guys like him in the past like Speedy Noyle and uh, – god, I don't even – like – other players like that who um you know were blue chip recruits kind of had character head case issues produced here and there and they still just like disappeared in the nfl and i was worried that preston williams would be another case like that however uh either he was kind of like a non-indicative sort of tester like the the pro day numbers basically were trash uh, like non uh non-indicative or something or maybe he really was out of shape and just kind of like got back into shape in training camp and became the player he was on the tape again i don't really know but he was getting targeted right away even as an undrafted guy even on a team that already had Devontae Parker, uh, I think Albert Wilson was ready for week one. I can't remember for sure. Um, had Alan Hearns there. so uh, Jakeem Grant, they were making manufactured touches for. And still, Preston Williams got in the field. So if he's healthy, I think he's going to right away be like that sort of uh, you know frequent jump ball target of Ryan Fitzpatrick's, and especially the way Fitzpatrick plays the game. Um, so yeah, it's he should be fine if he's healthy and, and that he's, he's so young bodes well for his ability to recover in time but um yeah it's probably i'd probably prefer someone like tate over him just because i feel like i'm getting something solid whereas um once once you're comparing him to robbie anderson and curtis samuel maybe that's when i start buying preston williams again and redraft
1: okay so tate then preston williams and then jalen rager and then you see the the panther guys below that is kind of the the ranking that you're thinking
3: no, I'm. I would probably put Tate first, and then even somebody lower than that, probably like Sammy Watkins, uh, who's way later than them. Gotcha. Um, but this is like the general range. It's like that 12th round range. The the two secondary receivers in Carolina, Anthony Miller. Uh, Golden Tate, Preston Williams, those are the kind of guys that are going off the board on best ball tens at least, and in PPR scoring especially, I would prefer Tate out of that group because I just think you know what you're getting with him, whereas the other players are are more speculative and ambiguous. I I would think.
1: I think I'm a little bit lower on Preston Williams too than at least that that ADP that you were suggesting, but I almost wonder if the Dolphins' offense and and team overall is just going to be better where there isn't going to be as many situations for him to benefit, and I, I think he's <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, like I I certainly think he's a talented player, and Devontae Parker, I would imagine, continues or at least gets close to whatever we saw his breakout was last year. But if Ryan Fitzpatrick is not the quarterback for sixteen or seventeen games or whatever it is, I I don't, and I don't think that's going to happen. I just am I'm a little bit concerned and I think the defense is gonna improve and the AFC East, that division overall is just garbage compared to everyone else. I get it the Bills are pretty good, but the Jets aren't anything special and the Patriots we have no idea what they're gonna look like uh with their new quarterback, Jared Stidham. Um or we assume to be The quarterback that's i just think there's 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 gonna be a situation for the dolphins to improve or at least do well enough offensively and defensively where preston williams maybe doesn't get the amount of targets and looks that we saw last year when they were just flailing offensively or trying to try to catch up most of the time
3: yeah that's a good point actually because the game scripts for for the dolphins last year were basically like you said because the the pass defense would fall apart right away and the run defense too would fall apart right away in every game. So they'd fall into a catch up mode and that might help explain why Preston Williams's target rate per snap was as high as it was. Uh, part of it is probably just that he's like a good receiver, but it was pretty high. And uh, you know, Fitzpatrick, Patrick being the kind of quarterback he is, he was definitely the type to kind of just chuck it at his tallest receiver because he's, he's not that accurate and he's, he's just kind of a chucker that way. Um, but th- with uh, Byron Jones signed from Dallas with Xavier Howard healthy, with Noah Ibinagin, however it's pronounced, drafted out of Auburn, they also got uh, they did something at safety that I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, yeah, their their defense should be a lot better. They added those c- corners, they added Kyle Van Noy at linebacker, they added Shaq Lawson, and I want to say they added Emmanuel uh, Ogba at outside linebacker. So they're gonna get a lot better results on defense this year. Whereas last year they probably were the worst for a bunch of games.
1: Well, they cut Rashad Jones, which might be an addition by subtraction situation too, uh, at safety. That might have been what you were thinking of too.
3: I'm not sure. I actually still thought he was good. So if if uh, if they cut him, I'm just going to pull up the depth chart because I know they actually they moved Eric Rowe to safety. Is what they did. Um, He was playing corner last year. They were they were playing like Eric Rowe and Nick Needham at corner last year, and some jamal Wiltz or something like that and now they're going to be Xavier howard byron jones noah Beanagin, and uh probably a couple other guys who are better than last year too so that defense uh will get a lot better they added brandon jones in the third round out of texas too so uh, i don't know if he'll be any good but they they added up uh, they, they added a lot of ammo on that defense and like you said they won't be as desperate to throw the ball to catch up like they were last year
1: yeah. I, I, yeah. That's where I'm thinking at least with Preston Williams. So I, was, I thought it was at least interesting with this health related thing that we could bring it up. All right. Well, again, not not a lot of major news happening throughout the given week. So I know you and John have spent the majority of the time in the past two episodes or so discussing different dynasty options or really kind of embarking more on the second year wide receiver trend and seeing who could really break out. I want to build off of that uh, with today's episode and kind of focus or feature a little bit more of the keeper dynasty questions that we've been getting a few from our users uh, as well as some that i might have for you so a great leading to that actually is our dynasty owner um, sponsorship here and the best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention responds to trade offers changes their lineup and are always looking to improve their team there is no off season for these owners and that's who you're challenging yourself against in dynasty owner other elite fantasy football players who are committed to competing Dynasty Owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patent game used, actual NFL salaries, and contracts. Combine, combine this with a salary cap, elite trading options, advanced team rosters, and the devoted elite owners to compete against, and you're facing some same decision NFL owners and general, general managers might make. If you're ready to take on the best, then don't miss out. Join the waitlist at DynastyOwner.com. All right, so uh, great jump into really our topic that we're going to focus on today. There's a few names that I sort of threw at you to start the podcast that we discuss. And I think, at least from my perspective, I want to hear your opinions from a Dynasty and Keeper League. Um, on Baker Mayfield, of course, he was our cover boy last year. Uh, The Browns did a lot of things, I feel like, to improve their offense, but I would have said the same thing last year. And right now, I almost feel like so many people are burned by Baker Mayfield that he might not be as intriguing of an investment as maybe a Daniel Jones or Josh Allen or uh, maybe not Sam Darnold, but like those younger type of players where I think Baker has a chance and certainly has everything around him to really be what we thought he could be last year. Am I crazy to think that?
3: I don't think so. I think you can both believe that Mayfield was overrated as a player last year and still believe that a, he'll be good and be uh, whatever he turns out to be. Particularly he, he will at least be a fantasy value at his current sort of price because at his current price, he doesn't even really need to be that good. And of course, with some quarterbacks, I guess you could think of James Winston last year, especially in leagues that don't count turnovers. You can get a quarterback with bad on field, bad real life results and, and get good fantasy utility out of them. And Mayfield, I think in this kind of uh, setup, as long as the offensive line is improved, which I feel it has to be for a couple reasons, not just because they added Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin at tackle, but also just because it's not Freddie Kitchens, team anymore. Right. And, I don't know how to explain it exactly, and I I can't imagine how something like this happens. But Freddie Kitchens, as best as I can tell, was basically a head coach last year, despite not knowing how to run a basic practice. And what I mean by that is I, I feel compelled to assume that because I've never seen a team, never, ever, never seen an NFL team look just as completely unprepared as they were. It was like they would struggle with things that you would think would get addressed in Wednesday practices of the week. It's as if they, they they played like they did not practice. And it was especially bad on the offensive line where they would just fall apart in in just baffling ways from a variety of, of alignments and a and, and variety of different ways, different parts of the field. Uh, you saw it show up repeatedly. It wasn't just Freddie Kitchens' play calling that was questionable in my opinion, but like their execution in the goal line situations I think had a lot to do with this because it's this, it was just an example of kind of Isolated football task, you know, goal line sort of drill, like basic drills. They weren't capable of, of kind of playing on the field, let alone elaborate play structures and, and you know, broader disciplinary issues. So they looked like it, it was like they were practicing the way the, the water boy South Central Louisiana State played in their practices like Coach Fran was Freddie Kitchens' assistant last year instead of uh, Todd Munkin, in my opinion. So that's the kind of scale of the dysfunction with the Browns last year. And I think literally any other coaching hire would have helped make that better. And I think Kevin Stefanski, especially if he really kind of soaked up the lessons of Gary Kubiak, and if he he really took them correctly and and understands them and is prepared to apply them definitely for, for himself going forward, then... That should be uniquely helpful because uh, Kubiak, of course, is part of that Shanahan tree where they they kind of just make running easier on themselves with some of the bro- the blocking principles and, and the motion setups and things like that. So Stefanski was basically tutored by Gary Kubiak last year in Minnesota, and now he's going to try to implement some of those things in Cleveland. So I think they would have been better for those reasons. And then, yes, Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin should be a lot better than uh, Hubbard and whoever – the other Greg Robinson was it was last year Greg Robinson I Um,
1: I would try to erase that from my mind but yeah I think so so
3: yeah it was really bad players and and the worst coach ever and those two conditions no longer are the case so that's good for Baker Mayfield and uh, my personal take on him at this point was like I probably overrated him going into last year uh, but he still did what he did as a rookie and that was on a team that was also dysfunctional it's not as if the Hugh Jackson Todd Haley year was some sort of golden era uh it was just it wasn't quite as bad as Kitchens as was and yet Baker Mayfield still had good numbers that year and there was no Oda Beckham on that team there was no Austin Hooper and so I think there's quite a few ways it could get better um the main thing that that limits my enthusiasm is that uh I do th- I do worry a little bit about the injury proneness of Odell Beckham at this point and part of Baker Mayfield breaking back out would uh like I would feel better about that if if I knew that Odell Beckham would be fine but it's it's looking kind of like a a dicey thing like he he could be fine and he he will probably be really good if he is it's just he's probably not going to be an always healthy kind of player like it seems safe to say he won't be that anymore and with that comes plenty of risks and aside from that they're probably going to be a two tight end offense rather than a kind of air it out you know th- this is not going to be like at oklahoma with marquise brown and Dee westbrook and mark andrews in a spread formation it's going to be a two tight end offense with david and joku austin hooper there might be mostly kind of underneath passes when it's not going to beckham downfield so the big plays won't be there but there could be you know a cut down in turnovers a, a big upt- uptick uptick in uh, completion percentage, a lot less pressure, things like that. So the Cleveland offense should be a lot more healthy, and he should be able to get into kind of scoring range with, with fewer turnovers to get there. So those are the ways I think it'll balance out. And um, I, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get my hopes up for kind of like a top five quarterback season, but I think – He's like I would take him over Matt Stafford, and on Best Ball Tens the past week, Stafford's been going higher. So I think people are getting a little low on him, uh, as understandable as it would be given how bad you know the optics last year were.
1: Yeah, and at least from a dynasty and, and keeper perspective, there's a there's a clear six, right? It's Lamar, Patrick, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Jackson, Russell Wilson. I think Dak Prescott deservedly belongs in that conversation, but after that, I, I still feel like there's there's a lot of question marks for the Josh Allens, the Daniel Jones, um, Carson Wentz is in that conversation too, although a little bit older than that group and we have Joe Burrow also ranked among that and then Baker fits into that category like I, I know Jerry Donabedian's been doing a lot of uh, tiered related articles and it's been great content on the site and I wonder if if that kind of tier is where Baker could really move up and he can be that top 12 quarterback from a dynasty or keeper perspective or a top six top seven um, because I know you're not super high on Josh Allen I'm not super high on Josh Allen but there are certainly fanboys out there for him and I think that's kind of like the range of outcome we could see for mayfield and his value, value long-term
3: well i think allen is fine in fantasy just because he runs so much but yeah i would put allen and carson wentz ahead of mayfield i probably got to put daniel jones ahead too just because he's going to run a good amount and mayfield can run but he's, he's more of like a sneaky runner scrambler runner he's not going to get designed to carries a whole lot and he's probably not going to be very good at it if he does so those Combined with the two tight end offense and, and the questionable long speed of that offense, those are some things that could limit his upside. Whereas I would say the runners have have more upside, and Wentz I just think is probably better, uh, probably on a, a better offense. So I, I would put him ahead. But if you're talking like the the guys who don't run, um, the guys who don't project to be in up tempo high pass attempt offenses, then. Yeah. And that 10 to 12 range Mayfield should be a safe contributor most years going forward, I think. And he'll, he'll probably have a couple of years where he's like six to eight. But unless they add some speed to that offense and unless they kind of go with more of a three wide than a two tight end. I'm not really convinced that there's going to be a whole lot of big box scores this year. Like, I think he I think he might be a guy who hovers between like 18 and 24 points or more of the Kirk Cousins kind of tier, I guess. I don't know. And Kirk Cousins, as much as people give him bad press a lot, like he's been a good fantasy value, like basically every year. Um, So maybe Mayfield kind of falls into that territory with I don't know, uh, maybe he's at the higher end of the Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins sort of tier.
1: Okay. All right, there's two other questions that I get quite frequently or I see on our Ask an Expert feature on the site, which is available to all of our subscribers, um, and you could ask questions related to baseball, basketball, really anything. I've, I've gotten actually a few eSports-related questions too, and I don't think the people are asking them. No, I'm the one answering, so it, it's it's kind of crazy to see. But the the two other players that I see asked about quite frequently um, I think had their value lessened because of the NFL draft, and I'll start first with the obvious one, Aaron Jones, of course, running back for the Packers, A.J. Dillon being one of a number of confusing selections for the Packers, and I could say that as a fan of the team, um, in the second round, it seems pretty clear-cut to me that the Packers are not intending to re-sign Aaron Jones to a long-term extension. His contract is up at the end of the year. If Dylan becomes what they wanted Eddie Lacy to be when they drafted him a number of years ago and really is that feature back, especially in the cold weather and uh, tundra field, every kind of, everything else like that, I just don't see a scenario where Aaron Jones comes back, and that's where maybe his keeper dynasty value is less than where we would anticipate given the season he had last year.
3: I think it's possible – I mean this is an obviously – this is a very obvious thing to say, but uh, it's possible that they let Jones go. But I don't think it means for certain that they will. I think it means it, it's the kind of thing they'll see it as it, – it leaves them more freedom to lowball Aaron Jones as a free agent. And I think they'll try to re-sign him. And I, I think I think Matt LaFleur basically might want to be trying to emulate the Tennessee offense, which was obviously Derrick Henry-centered. And A.J. Dillon, incidentally, is a lot like Derrick Henry. And I know people people are going to say things like, oh, you cannot compare anyone to Derrick Henry. But a couple things quickly. Derrick Henry was not a popular like hype pick. Most people thought he was bad up until, I don't know, 14 months ago or 18 months ago, whatever it was. Uh, even going into last year, even – a month and a half, two months into last year, Derrick Henry still had his haters chirping in full force. So n- when when not many people really hyped Derrick Henry to begin with, like, don't act like he was some sort of deified figure before he before he arrived like he did last year. Like, a lot of – I was surprised and I was a Derrick Henry uh, hype man those past few years. So uh, if it surprised me, then, you know, A.J. Dillon being like him is a possibility that people should take – more seriously, and, and that they don't really think it could happen itself is not really a good argument because he's six foot, 247. Derrick Henry is six three, 247. AJ Dillon is more dense. That's preferable. At four, five, three, 40, that's faster than Derrick Henry's four, five, four, 40. Now, AJ Dillon didn't put up the ridiculous 2,000 yard season at Alabama that Derrick Henry did, but he did put three big seasons up at Boston College where They basically didn't try to throw the ball, so there was no – there there wasn't even like a Blake Sims kind of quarterback. There wasn't – who was before? There wasn't Jalen Hurts. There wasn't anything like that. It was just A.J. Dillon versus the defense. And he was really good. Uh, he had he – had oh, by the way, it wasn't just the 4 340 It's like 41-inch vertical, the broad jump, insane numbers, and especially for someone as big and densely built as he is. So uh, you can look at the tape at him at Boston College. He ran away from defenses. He runs over people. He's quick. He's shifty. People miss him when they're trying to tackle him. There is a worst-case scenario with all this said. Like TJ Duckett was basically all of these things, and he wasn't a great player in the NFL. But – there's also the Derrick Henry case, and we've seen how it can work. I think that uh, AJ Dillon, at the very least, even right away, will be a problem for Aaron Jones's red zone production because he had 16 rushing touchdowns last year in the red zone, 16 and or sorry, 14. My bad. Um, and that's just one of those things. Like AJ Dillon is six foot two forty seven. He is faster than Aaron Jones at that weight, at 30 pounds or so heavier. NFL teams football coaches love big running backs in goal line situations they just do even ones that aren't as fast and as explosive as AJ Dillon even the ones that aren't half as as fast or explosive as him often get favorable treatment when it gets toward the the goal line in the short yardage situation so at the very least AJ Dillon is a wrecker threat to the value of Aaron Jones um however AJ Dillon in college never really caught the ball I I don't mean to say like he can't do it but we don't really have any evidence that he does. So, um, particularly in that sense, there could still be an opening because Aaron Jones is, is pretty dangerous as a pass catcher, and and that's one way for him to stay involved that AJ Dylan can't imitate. So we'll see. There's stuff like that going on, and um, I just kind of think they're headed toward a more ball uh, a ball control run heavy offense because they basically punted at receiver, and I, I just think they might be trying to put it on the ground instead. But um, yeah, AJ, or sorry. AJ Dillon's arrival point blank means a- Aaron Jones is not scoring those touchdowns next year, and he probably wasn't going to score them anyway because it's just you know variability just kind of works like that with touchdowns.
1: Right, and I think um, Jerry actually outlined. I keep giving him name drops. I you know I, Jerry should be paying me by the hour, by the by the mention for this podcast. But uh, Aaron Rodgers is likely due for a little bit of touchdown regression in the positive nature passing in the red zone, um, and, and maybe he ends up throwing a few of those, one or two, to Aaron Jones, which could offset some of that, but I, I have to agree with what I was looking at, and I think maybe a guy like Jay Sternberger or even any one of those receivers that they hope to anticipate, or they I mean, they have to at this point, um, develop to something more, could be a bit more of a passing threat, but it's it's pretty clear that Aaron Jones was the focal point last year, and it's, at least history, history-wise, suggest he couldn't do the same thing again from the red zone, and A.J. Dillon could also takes some of that away too. But uh, all, all things considering, I think that was one of the biggest drops from the NFL draft from a dynasty value, at least from a guy at the top. Cause I, I just don't think whether Jones comes yeah. back or not, I just don't know how they could, especially if he chooses to operate that offense, like the Tennessee Titans from yesteryear. Um, and I, I say that jokingly, cause it was only like two years ago when he was doing that. I just don't see a way where Aaron Jones can really be a prolific late first round, early second round type of talent in redraft or in dynasty keeper leagues with the situation that seems to be imminent.
3: Yeah, I mean I have no shares. I don't plan on getting any, and uh for what it's worth, going back to uh going back to a week ago in the best ball ten ADP, Aaron Jones is at eleven, and I remember he used to be more at like eight or nine, so he has fallen a bit and namely he's going a bit later than Nick Chubb, who he was He tended to go ahead of him before the draft, not when I was picking, but that was generally the case. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't know if Chubb has gone up at all or if it's just like he's he's by default moved up a spot because Jones fell down. But uh, Jones at 11, I I mean, I understand why someone would want to go with him, especially if their strategy is simply take a running back, take a certain number of running backs in the first three rounds. And if he's the best one on the board and that's your strategy, then I don't really I can't really argue against it like he might be the best one on the board a lot of the time but generally speaking I would rather have Tyreek Hill who goes the pick later up the next pick and uh yeah I'd rather have even Julio Jones I think who's going down at 18th so I'm pretty low on Aaron Jones not as a player I think he's a really good player and I I like I liked him coming out of UTEP I mean I was one of those people who said like this is he's clearly a better player than jamal williams who they took a, a round earlier um i was surprised at just how good jones was last year but a lot of it was just objectively lucky touchdowns and that was that luck will probably dry up anyway and aj dylan presents quite a bit more possibility of bad luck that wasn't otherwise just due to you know regressing to the mean
1: the final name that I teased a little bit earlier about, guys, I've heard a lot about from other users and just from a fantasy perspective and the community out there uh, that could see a bit of a decrease is Amari Cooper. And I, I know that's crazy to think about, but I'm a little bit worried about, the, A, the Mike McCarthy offense, and, and maybe it's just a, the Jada Packer fan of me that, that is concerned about, but also what C.D. Lamb and what I think C.D. Lamb can be and will be as a pro, what that means overall for the Cowboys offense, right? at At some point... They've transitioned from this very, very, very Zeke-heavy attack to now there's a bit more passing involved. And, of course, Dak Prescott and his contract negotiations. Uh, I feel like there's going to be a motivating factor for him, Dak, maybe not so much of the team, but for Dak, to really do some things from passing perspective as well. And I just feel like Cooper might be the one, not odd man out, but I mean, really the contract that he got basically only guarantees two years with the Cowboys. At that point, they could cut him and not really take much of a cap hit. So it's a two-year sample here the rest of the way where Cooper could still be a top 15, top 10 talent. But I think the CD Lamb pick might have hurt him a little bit more than people might anticipate.
3: Yeah, it's a tough one because I think Cooper's really good. I know some people just kind of don't like him. I think he's really good, and I don't want to... Put unfair expectations on Ceedee Lamb to, to match or be better than than a player who could be one of the ten best receivers in the league, in my opinion. So it's it's one of those things where the 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 risk of C, the risk that Ceedee Lamb presents to Amari Cooper is pretty clear. And you're right, it, it's it's something that his owners should probably think about. Um, but I, I don't quite want to to assume that Ceedee Lamb will do more than what Randall Cobb. Did last year, like I think he will, but I, I just—it's it, unfair to expect a rookie, any particular rookie, even if it was, you know, AJ Brown. It's like it, it's 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 just not fair to expect a rookie receiver to be as good as of a player as Amari Cooper is, and that's not even to consider the complications that you know maybe maybe Michael Gallup is is getting better still too. Maybe he'll be a better player this year than he was last year. Don't really know the way it's headed, but um, that team does have a cap crunch pretty clearly. Uh, they, I don't even understand how they've gotten this far with everybody on the books that they have, but uh, they already lost Byron Jones. Jerry Jones has a way of kind of getting the Cowboys into these cap messes where they, they have to blow up a lot of the team. And if CeeDee Lamb is you know, 85%, 90% as good as Amari Cooper at that two-year point, like you said, then Dallas might kind of have to go with go away from Cooper like it might not even really be up to them uh so we'll we'll see but uh the only thing I really worry about with Cooper in the meantime I guess is uh, maybe his durability like he was getting nicked up quite a bit last year and if he's if he's nicked up then you know he, even if he's still playing through it he's probably not as good as Gallup and, and Lamb completely healthy so he might disappear for bits at a time even though you get that you know Sunday morning notification like he's active That he's They say he's going to have a full workload. It's like even then he's not going to be the same guy that he is when he's healthy and those two are so good. They might just be better that particular day. So there's a lot of volatility there. If you take him in redraft or if you have him in dynasty, you need to be kind of resigned to the fluctuation from week to week with Cooper. He'll probably always be a volatile guy that way. But... um, I, I wouldn't really be rushing to move him or anything because he's still young. He's been in the NFL a while, but he's he's, uh, he's probably only like a year and a half older than uh, like a Van Jefferson or some other older rookie receiver because uh, Cooper was really young when he came out of uh, Alabama. But uh, as far as where he tends to go around, I, I don't know what player – like I would probably have to say uh, – I'd probably have to take Cooper over someone like Odell Beckham in Dynasty just because – I just don't know what to make of, of Beckham's like injury history. And I don't know what to make of Baker Mayfield. Exactly. Like Cooper is a really good receiver and he's got a really good quarterback. And that's kind of a lot to work with just right there. So uh, depending on how, depending on like the, the sort of part in your team's uh, trajectory you're at, like whether you're in a rebuilding phase or if you're going all in, that might help determine how you evaluate Cooper for your particular purposes. But, um, yeah, aside from that and, like, your appetite for risk, uh, th- those might need to be your tiebreakers because it's it's kind of hard for me to let C.D. Lamb be the reason that I that I get rid of Cooper because the other thing is Gallup will be a free agent after this year, and I don't think they're going to resign him. So uh, if if Dallas is, you know, three years from now with Cooper and Lamb at receiver and, and Dak Prescott's still there, everybody who didn't trade Cooper now will be glad that they didn't.
1: Yeah. And you know what? That's a good point too. I I had read a, I thought it was a, a, I don't know if it was from, you you know, you do this all the time too, but I got to do this as well. I don't know what source it was, but I thought it was from one of the Cowboys affiliates of some sort, whether it be a beat writer or something to that extent. And it was kind of outlining how you could have Cooper, Lamb and, um, absurd and you can have um oh my, Michael Gallup man I don't know why we were blanking there on that roster also next year too and it would require a franchise tag from the Cowboys perspective and maybe a, a cut or two as well um that would free up the space it, it I didn't necessarily read that article and thought okay it has to be Cooper or Gallup and they made their choice this offseason it's Cooper I read it more like okay in two years if Gallup gets to the point where the Cowboys think they could get him to, and what we've kind of seen from a developmental trajectory, then Cooper becomes where he just gets dealt or cut or something else. And I, Cut would be really tough. Like His contract really is actually fairly affordable for a receiver as talented as you and I both think he is. I just have a, a scenario um, that I could see that that Gallup ends up getting hurt. But there's another name, too, like Blake Jarwin. I know you're super high, and I, I think he's going to be a relevant factor as well. At least he's better than the carcass that was Jason Witten at tight end. Like there's just so many options from the passing attack perspective that I feel like the Cowboys could feature and they still have Ezekiel Elliott who they're paying a ton of money to uh, and and really has been the heart and soul of that team for quite a while. And I just imagine from an ego perspective, Zeke isn't going to be able to just let the passing attack be the main focus anymore.
2: Yeah.
3: uh, I guess, I guess the way I see it generally is I would not, be especially eager to move cooper in a dynasty league like there's always exceptions and if you get a good enough offer and if you can't really use cooper in the next couple of years anyway then in your situation it should it, you might want to trade it more than someone else and someone else in some other situation with cooper um, but as long as dak prescott's there and we also have reason to believe that a pretty solid offensive line will be there for the next couple of years at least then i think it would be one of those things where you keep the good players from the good offense because these things have a way of working themselves out. Uh, like I think Zeke will get fewer passing game reps, specifically fewer targets, perhaps like maybe, a bit of lamb's production is subsidized by taking away a little bit from Ezekiel Elliott in the passing game. Maybe he's reduced to more of like a, a a 20 carry two or three catch kind of running back instead of the 20 carry three or four or five catch running back that he's been the past couple of years. Uh, And maybe Ezekiel Elliott gets hurt. And if, if he does, then all of Cooper Gallup and lamb might all of a sudden start going off. Um, So as long as Dak is there, it's like, we have reason to believe the Cowboys will score a lot of points and, it's not ideal that there are so many players capable of scoring those points, but you're better off with the hand that kind of includes one of those guys than any particular player from most other teams, I guess is how I see it.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And and I I just think it's a it's a good conversation to have especially when it comes to how many options they have there, but I'm I'm right there with you. I'm not really trying to discount cooper's talent and right, at all yeah. I, I think he's he's a tremendous receiver and you just look at the financial perspectives on a few of these teams cowboys one of them and and you wonder how does it all make sense or work out maybe it ends up being that Gallup is just gone next year and i could entirely see that too so uh it's it's good conversation and something that uh, at least from a keeper and dynasty perspective uh i always love talking about that and always love answering questions too well that does it for us on the road Aware NFL podcast. Hopefully next week, John will be back and uh, the regular dynamic duo can return, but uh, it was great talking with you, Mario and uh, fun breaking down some NFL. You
3: too, Joe. Thanks a lot for stepping in and, you know, glad, glad you're doing good and, and uh, p- putting your talents forth for, for, for the pod. <laughs> uh, Cause I like, yeah, we, we needed the help and, and we're glad you could give it to us.
1: Doing what I can. That's, that's all I can say. Doing what I can. All right. Until next week. Uh, best of luck everyone.